We'd like to welcome you all here to the Haute Wesleyan Church as we continue the celebration of Easter and the joy of Jesus' resurrection. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his
Our Holy Savior, we crown you the Lord of life. You are risen. You are exalted. You reign over all. We are in awe of your power, your majesty, and your deep and abiding love for each of us. Your children. We believe in you. Help us to believe you in a way that is active, striving to know you and to be changed by you into the people you have called us to be. Amen.
The scripture reading this morning comes from Revelation 21, 1 through 7, and 22, 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is the word of the Lord. couple things I want to bring to your attention uh, that are in your bulletin, uh, among other activities. Tonight at 6.30, we're hosting this film, Many Beautiful Things. It's the story of the life of uh, Lilius Trotter. Uh, some of you know the Hegemans and uh, the Littles here in town who are connected to the Lilius Trotter Center here. And uh, this is a, a, the center for uh, Muslim studies and for helping people who work in Muslim countries. And uh, Lilius Trotter, uh, who inspired uh, this name and, and this organization, uh, was a phenomenal artist in England. And um, basically, though she continued to use her art, she basically gave up a, a life, very probably very uh, prestigious uh, career in art to go work in North Africa among Muslim people. And uh, this, this movie is a, a documentary about her life. And uh, I just finished reading her biography a month or so ago, and it's inspiring. It's really good. And so I'm looking forward to this movie tonight. We're going to meet in the community room behind us, and um, hope you have a chance to come and, uh, and watch this with us this evening. Wednesday evening at 6.30, the boys' club this week, a girls' club next week. But this week they'll be doing, uh, engaging in the Buddy Keith Memorial Grand Prix sailboat races. I don't know if you have children who are part of boys' club on Wednesday night, but if you don't, even if you don't, 
If you have an hour, come at 6.30, cheer on the kids. They've made their cars, they've made their little sailboats, and uh, they're going to be racing them. And what a great gift to them to have some people there, uh, not just parents, but others there as well to help cheer them on. So let me encourage you about that as well. And the other thing, a couple of inserts in your bulletin today about working with children through the summer. I know some of you might not be around, uh, but from May 1st to the end of August, uh, we need help as a number of college students work with these ministries and then uh, are gone. So if you can help out with Children's Church, Nursery, that'd be great. We'd love to have you be a part of that. You see the uh, form in there, just fill that out. You can drop in the offering plate uh, later, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, people get in contact with you. And the other thing is, there's there's an announcement there about needing mason, or at least canning jars like this. These are quart-sized jars. If you have something a little bit smaller, that's okay as well. We're trying to collect 200 of these jars for a project we're doing in about a month. And uh, when we get to that day on May 8th, it will make sense to you. But in the meantime, we'd like to collect jars. And they're kind of collection that we need to keep them. So if you're planning to use it to can something, you won't have it back uh, in time for that. But um, we'd love to collect them. And then uh, we... We have a, a church-wide uh, event that we're going to be working with them. So if you have some, you can drop them by the church office anytime, bring them on Sunday, just leave them there outside the office. We're going to have to find some space to store 200 jars, but we'll, we'll figure that part out. We just need the jars. So if you have those and you can uh, bring them, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, take a minute, stand, greet some people who are here, maybe uh, introduce yourself to someone you don't know as uh, we continue in worship. If you look at the inside of your bulletin, right above the worship order, it says, uh, well, mine says the second Sunday of Easter, but I think they reprinted one for me because I don't think yours says that. I think it says something about Pentecost, right? Okay, that's a mistake. We haven't gotten to Pentecost yet. Uh, and that's, I want to mention that because uh, this is a season of Easter. And one of the things about following the church calendar is that it... It helps us to focus on some important things more than just once. I mean, you know, I think typically in a lot of churches, I was raised this way, Easter's a big day and it's a great day. And last week was awesome. We watched people be baptized. We sang the great songs of resurrection and Easter. And then it's sort of like, okay, we're done with that. Now we move on to something else. But the reality is Easter in the resurrection is so vital, so integral to what it means to be Christian and to our faith, then the church fathers in designing the calendar said, look, we can't just do this one day. We need to do 50 days. And so Easter starts on Easter Sunday, the season of Easter, and it goes until we get to Pentecost, which is seven Sundays later. And so we are in the season of Easter because we need to be reminded that resurrection is so vital to what it means to be a Christian. We see it all over the New Testament. And so over the course of these next few weeks, I want to think about how the resurrection impacts some kind of ordinary things about our lives. 
So we're going to talk about how the resurrection impacts our work, our possessions, our uh, relationships, our view of the world, and today, how it impacts our view of the earth. And I think when we talk about the resurrection and the earth, I think it's important to to take a little bit of a step back and think about not just how we think about the earth, but how we think about what happens when the final resurrection takes place. Paul talks about the dead in Christ will rise. Jesus talks a number of times about that day when he will return, when he will reappear. We call it the second coming, second advent, the second appearing of Jesus. That day when he will bring all things together, he will fulfill his kingdom, bring it to fulfillment. Or as N.T. Wright says, he will put all things to right. What happens on that day? What's going to take place? If you're like me, you probably were raised with a mindset that on that day, all of the people living on earth who are Christians will be taken from the earth into heaven. And we, sometimes people call that the rapture, uh, the, uh, the ascending of God's people. And, and we will be removed from the earth. And what will be left, depending on your theological perspective, would be chaos. And so, that is, I think that's typically the evangelical mindset. But I'm coming to see, that was certainly my mindset growing up, but I, I think I'm coming to see that actually that perspective might be based more on books we've read and songs we've sung and movies we've watched than on Scripture. You know, when I was growing up, there these movies they put out that scare the life out of you about the, the uh, end times. And, you know, and I think it was probably intended to do that, to scare people out of hell and into heaven. And it did. I mean, I've watched those movies later as an adult, and it scared me to death. And, you know, and and these books that we read and and the songs we sing, you know, one of those big songs when I was uh, younger was, I wish we'd all been ready. And, uh, you know, and it talks about, you know, people being left and people being taken away. And based, that's sort of based on Matthew's gospel, chapter 24, where Jesus says two men will be out in the field working, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding grain, one will be taken, one will be left. And that's been interpreted as the godly people are taken and the sinful, evil people are left. But if you look at the verse before that, verse 39, Jesus is talking about the flood. And he says, talking about the flood, he says, it was the ungodly people who were taken. There was no one in his family that were left. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but maybe, maybe the Christians are left on earth. And, and I think there is some significance for that because when we read through the New Testament, we hear Jesus and others saying that when Jesus brings in, ushers in his kingdom, when all this comes to fulfillment, what will happen is not that we, we will be sort of spirit beings in this ethereal heaven, but we will be bodies on earth. I mean, Paul says the whole heart of everything we believe about the resurrection is that we will be bodily raised. And in 1 Corinthians 15, as he's talking about the resurrection, he says... Some people are saying that Jesus wasn't raised from the dead bodily. 
And he says, if Jesus wasn't raised bodily from the dead, then none of us will be raised bodily from the dead. And if that's not happening, then what are we doing? We are the most foolish people in the world. And then you come to places like um, like Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22 that talks about the new heaven and the new earth. And it says, and God will come down to his people and his throne will be with his people. And he will establish his kingdom with his people. That it will be on the new, in the new heaven, the new earth. It will be a part of what God has created here. I think that our mindset about salvation also plays a lot into this. Again, if you were like me, you probably have this mindset that when we talk about salvation, what we're really talking about is saving our souls, our human souls. That's salvation. And it is that, but when you read the scriptures, Old Testament and New, what you find is a much more holistic picture of salvation. It's much bigger, much wider, much deeper. What we find is that it's not just our human souls that are saved. It is God redeeming all of creation. All of it. And so Jesus says in Matthew 19, he talks about how God is going to bring regeneration to all of creation. In Acts chapter 3, Peter is preaching this sermon. And in that sermon, he says, God is reconciling all things to himself in Christ. And Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 1, talking about how the restoration of all things, not just the human soul, but all things. And maybe the most profound place we see this is in Romans chapter 8, where Paul talks about creation in this profoundly theological book that Paul writes of Romans, we find here in chapter 8, Paul writing about creation crying out and groaning for redemption and how God is going to redeem all of his creation. It is that small mindset about salvation that has an impact and about what our eternal destiny is going to look like that that has a bearing on how we view the earth. Not just then, but now. Because I'm convinced that how we view things then is a direct correlation to how we live now. I find it fascinating that in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, Jesus could have said a thousand things that the meek will inherit. But he says they'll inherit the earth. I got to tell you, I have never quite understood that. I mean, I preached sermons about it, and everybody who heard that sermon probably walked out as confused as I was preaching it. Because <clears throat> I'm thinking, how, how does that figure into my spiritual mindset of salvation, that salvation is just about redeeming our souls how does the inheriting the earth fit into that? And it's only recently that I've begun to see what Jesus is talking about. And what's fascinating to me is that when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, he's describing himself. Because scripture says about Jesus that he was meek. And by that, it means he was humble. 
He was a servant. It's what Paul is writing about in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what it means to be meek, is to take on the nature and the character of Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus, the, only, the words out of Jesus' mouth are, blessed are the people whose nature and character is like me, and their blessing is, their reward is, they will inherit the earth. They will, they will find that their eternal destiny will be on the earth, and it will be awesome in this new earth, this recreated, restored, redeemed earth. I know scripture has places where it talks about how heaven and earth will pass away. And that's often in the back of, of people's minds as they think about what this is going to look like. You know, heaven and earth is going to pass away. Paul, or John talks about this in Revelation 21. He says, I looked and heaven and earth had passed away and there was a new heaven and earth. And Jesus says the same thing in Matthew 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then Paul writes the same thing to the Corinthians in chapter 7. Heaven and earth will pass away. And so we read that and we interpret that as the earth is going to disappear. The earth is going, some even say, the earth is going to be destroyed. We're done with it. But I don't think that's what it means. That means that God, what God created, isn't worth very much. That God would look at what he created and said, yeah. Let's get rid of that. But when you read Genesis and chapters 1 and 2, every day, Paul, John, every day God creates, he says, it is good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It gets to the end and says, it's very good. And I don't want to be sacrilegious, but I have this vision of, of the Trinity in heaven going, high-fiving each other and going, that is awesome work. Wow, we did well there. Man, we're good. That is terrific stuff. And I can see them just looking at it and continually to contemplate it and say, man, that is good, really, really good. We outdid ourselves with this. This is phenomenal. This is really great stuff. And then thousands or however many hundreds of millions of whatever years later, whatever your theology is about that, God comes to the point and he says, eh, not so good after all. Let's just trash this thing. I don't think so. I think God is going to recreate it. He's going to restore it. He's going to redeem it. But I don't think he's going to trash it. I mean, think about, think about, um, I know many of you are not parents, but you can, I think you can imagine this because you've probably been on the other side of it. But you think about things that, that, a, that a child makes. I was thinking back to myself. When I was in, uh, in grade school, in art class, man, I'm was, I was bad at art. I'm telling you, I got, I got F's in art. I had a kind art teacher in grade school who took pity on me and said, if you can draw anything, I'll pass you. Anything, you know. I, so some stick people, you're good. Okay, get a D, you know, pass you. I don't, wanna, I don't want you in my class again, I think was a lot of it. But, you know, we do pottery. We're making these little bowls. And, of course, mine comes out looking like an ashtray, which is kind of funny because in our house, you know, my dad's a minister. And none of, nobody in our house smokes. And people come to visit and they're like, eh, what do you got going on there? Uh, you know. 
But, but, you know, my mom and dad, you know, I brought home this misshapen, ugly, colors are bad, you know, thing to them. And I say, look what I made in art class. And they didn't say to me, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen. Why would you bring that home? You're terrible at this. No, they went, this is awesome, really good. Now, I suspect that night lying in bed, they're like, what is up with that? Man, he is bad, really, really bad. Where did this come from? You know, but, but to me, they're like, this is awesome. This is great. Let's put it here on the table so everybody can see what you made. And I think that's how God is with us. You know, our boys through the years have made things for us. And, and you know, we, we love it. It's a gift. There are ornaments we have on our trees now that they made for us. And we've got ornaments we bought. And you, you look at what they made and you compare it to what we bought in the stores. Their stuff is nice. No, it's not. Don't tell them. Oh, wait, they're here. So don't do, wait, I blew that one. You know, it's not as nice, but I'd be a lot more upset about losing or, or tearing or, or destroying one of their ornaments than I would something I bought at the store. Because they made it. And, and those ornaments will be on our tree until we die. Because they are valuable to us because they made it. And I think God looks at his creation and says, this is awesome. And I love it. I'm not going to get rid of it. I mean, I think back to not only the care that God takes in creating the earth, but sustaining it too. It's an interesting word that God gives to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 20. He's talking to them about when they go into Canaan and they start conquering the land. And, and he says to them, look, don't be like all the other pagan nations who go into a city and they just scorch it. Don't be like that. If you don't need to cut down trees, don't cut them down. Spare them. In fact, he says to them, what did these trees do to you? Those trees hurt you? Those trees, you're fighting the trees? No, leave them alone. That's my creation. Spare them, save them. When I think about destruction, I don't think about God. I think about evil. Evil destroys. God doesn't destroy. And I was thinking about this when I, I think about that image of evil destroying. Whenever I think, I think it always comes to my mind is the Lord of the Rings. In, in, in the book, there's, uh, Saruman sends out his, his evil minions to conquer territories. And he says, every town you go to, just burn it to the ground. And when you look at some of these scenes from, from the movies, I remember thinking, watching these and thinking, man, such, such vivid images of what happens when evil works. When evil is doing what it does, it destroys. The other thing you find in Scripture is that whenever God talks about destroying something, it, it's really, it's, it's often hyperbole for purification. There's passages where God says to Israel, I'm so fed up with you, I'm just going to destroy Israel. And I don't think he means by that he's going to obliterate them from the face of the earth. What he means is, I'm going to get rid of the dross. I'm going to get rid of their sin and I'm going to purify them. And over and over again, we see God doing that. And if you're gold, if you're gold and you're in the furnace and the, draw, and the fire is hot and it's burning you, it feels like you're being destroyed. But you're really being purified. 
And so when Scripture talks about heaven and earth passing away and being destroyed, I think he's really talking about purifying the earth, redeeming it, restoring it to what God intended at the very beginning of creation and even more. See, we are tempted to look at the earth in one of two ways. For some people, uh, we sort of ignore the earth. This is why our perspective of the resurrection is so important. Because if we're just going to be disembodied spirits that float around in heaven playing harps with wings, then who cares about the earth? But if, we're going to, if this is going to be our existence, it should be important to us. But, you know, we tend to take a perspective. A lot of people just ignore it, even abuse it. doesn't matter. Who cares? But there's also the other side of it that wants to worship the earth. You go, that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God, isn't it interesting that, you know, in the, in the garden, God says you need from any tree except for this one. And when the serpent comes to Eve and says, you can't really trust God. You can't really, he's not going to take care of you. You've got to do more than that. In fact, if you put your faith and worship nature, that'll do it for you. Just pluck that off the tree and eat it. Nature can fulfill what God can't. And from that moment on, there has been this battle with nature. On the one hand, there is this, this sense of abusing nature because we think it's bad. Because look what happened. But on the other hand, there is a sense of worshiping nature. That nature can get for us what, quite frankly, Scripture says only God can do. And this this idea of thinking about creation and caring about what God has made isn't worshiping nature. I realize this is where he starts getting political for us too. I mean, even in this current election cycle that seems like it's been going on for 100 years, uh, you know, this comes up about the environment. And what I tend to hear arguments that arise are, well, in the, when it comes to political agendas, you have to choose between caring and, and nurturing and, and putting people first or caring, nurturing, putting earth first. And if you're talking about politics, yeah, you probably got to make a decision. They force you to make a decision. And often our decision is, well, what, does our, what do our opponents think? We'll take the opposite possession. But if we're talking about Scripture and God, why does it have to be either or? I mean, why can't it be both? I think that's how God feels. I think God loves the earth, and I think God loves people. He loves all that he has created. And I think he gives us the ability to do that too. We're image bearers of God. And one of the ways we bear the image of God is that we love what God loves. And we love what God has made, whether we're talking about plants and flowers and animals or people. It doesn't have to be either or. I think we can, as Christians, care for what God has created in the earth and care for people that God has put on the earth. I think we can do both. God gives us the ability to do that. Instead of it becoming a political discussion, it's a biblical discussion. What I find interesting when you read the scriptures is that not only does God love the earth, but I think you get an image of the earth loving God. Because when we, when we are tempted to either ignore or abuse or worship the earth, 
The earth is smart enough to know it's all about God. And it worships God. And I, and I just grabbed a few passages that, you know, a lot of many, many that we could talk about. But just listen. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done this wondrous thing. Shout for joy, O depths of the earth. Break into song, O mountains and forests and every tree, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and is glorified in Israel. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song and the trees of the field will clap their hands. Boy, I'd like to see that. Kind of makes me think of Lord of the Rings too. Right? The trees of the field going, God, you are so awesome. You redeem your creation. And we love you. And that should be our perspective as well. So our role in this is really pretty clear. When you look at Genesis chapter 1, it says in verse 26, let us make human beings in our own image. And verse 27 says, so God made human beings in his own image. And he put them in the garden and he said five things to them. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it, and rule over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that crawls on the ground. What we're called to be are stewards. It's not our creation, it's God's. But we are stewards of God's creation. We have the joy and the privilege of being stewards of what God has given us. And sometimes I think we see being stewards of God's creation as a burden. Oh, man. You know, we have to think about the environment. We have to think about, you know, what we're doing with the things of creation. When it ought to be joy. We get to do this. When God says that eventually the day is coming when he will redeem and restore all of creation, including human beings and everything else he's made, and he says and in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We get to be agents of bringing little bits and pieces of God's redemptive work in creation while we live. We get to be agents of what God wants to do in redeeming and restoring his creation. And I think our problem is we aren't really grateful for what God's given us. I don't think we tend to look around at creation and just automatically say, wow, God, thank you so much for putting me here and thank you for giving me the privilege of having this, of being able to to be nourished by it and being able to nourish it. And take care of it. And be your stewards on this earth. And as Karl Barth said, he said, you know, you can trace every sin back to ingratitude. And I think that's true. And I suspect the opposite is also true, that you can trace every good act back to gratitude. Maybe what we really need is just a sense of gratitude about this amazing gift that God has given us. Someone said to me the other day that he said they, they've been pondering this. They realize that they treat the gifts they get for Christmas better than they do the gift of God's creation. You think about it, what was your favorite gift at Christmas? It was an electronic, something electronic or 
clothes or jewelry or something that you got, and you think about how you take care of it, and you polish it, and you secure it, and you don't let people around it, and you don't, you know, you don't eat certain foods when you're wearing it, and you lock it up at night. So careful with those gifts, and we should be. That's good. And as they said to me, you know, I'm thinking about all these things I got for Christmas, and I'm driving down the road and throwing wrappers out the window. Just not valuing it like God does. But that's our joy, our privilege to be stewards of God's creation, to be agents of redemption for people and animals and all that God has made. Not only because it's, our, it's the gift that God's given us now, but because it is going to be our home then. I know that, and I got to tell you, this is a journey for me. You know, I, I'm, I, here's, an, here's a picture of how I thought about creation for most of my life. When I was a boy, uh, our, we had a fenced-in backyard, decent size, so it was a great place to play baseball. And we love playing baseball. We play all day. And so the nice thing was with the fence, you know, you could, you could hit over the fence and get a home run as opposed to chasing the ball and trying to outrun it. And so we, you know, we'd play there a lot. And uh, so we had the bases lined up, but it wasn't that big. And so second base was right against the back of the fence. And right there where second base was, was a big rose bush. I can't tell you how many times we ran into that rose bush, slid into that rose bush, rolled into that rose bush, got torn apart by the thorns on that rose bush. And I can tell you so many days, I'd go into my mom just exasperated saying, can we please dig up that stupid rose bush? It's in the way of us playing baseball. And she'd look at me and say, no, you cannot pick up, dig up the rose bush. But that, that's sort of my perspective of, hey, you know, it's in my way for what I want to do. And God has been working on my heart to think about things differently. To start thinking about things like reducing how much I consume of creation. And reusing the things that I do use of creation. And recycling things that I can in creation. And that's a challenge for all of us. And we can't do everything. On the one hand, I would say, hey, it's just one rose bush. But it's a mindset. It, it reminds me of, of the, the story of the guy who was out, went out to the beach one day in the ocean. And washed up on the beach were just thousands upon thousands of starfish. And they were all dying in the sand. And so he started walking along the beach and picking up starfish and throwing them back in the ocean so they could live. And the guy watched, came down to the beach and watched him for a few minutes and said, that's great you're doing that, but you realize you're really not going to make any difference. There's just thousands of starfish. And the guy picked up one. He said, well, it may be, but it'll make a difference to this one. And he threw it back in the ocean. And that's kind of the mindset we have to have. We can't do everything, but we can do something. And to begin thinking about, you know, how much am I using that I don't need to? How could I, how could I use less? And just small things, you know, turning off lights when we leave the room. Running stuff once instead of five times. Just, just thinking about it. 
not because we feel guilty and not because there's a political agenda, but because it's God's gift to us. And we love what God loves. I often like to, uh, to quote N.T. Wright, British theologian. It's had a great impact on my thinking about a lot of things, including these things we're talking about today. If you've never read N.T. Wright, I would suggest you start with his book, Surprised by Scripture. Excellent book. It's a series of maybe a dozen essays about a variety of topics, including this one. But he's so insightful and he's, he's, he uh, makes things understandable. But I think when I read his book, Surprise to Our Scripture, he has a chapter in there about the earth and how it is connected to the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. And he t- the, chap- the title of the chapter intrigued me. The title of the chapter was this. Jesus is coming. Plant a tree. Jesus is coming. Plant a tree. It's not just about one part of us. It's about all of creation. Loving what God loves. Being a part of his redemptive work for everything God has created. You and me and others and the earth. We're going to spend a few minutes praying together. And um, as we pray, if if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, maybe for yourself or somebody else, maybe you just want to come with an open heart this morning and say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I want to do what you want me to do. I want to see things the way you see it. So show me. So if you'd like to come and use the altar rail as we pray, come and join me. Father, thank you for the gift of creation, the earth, for all you've put into it, for everyone you've put on it. We pray that you would stir our hearts anew about loving the earth, the world, creation, as you do. Lord, this morning we come recognizing our world is in great trouble chaos. We pray that you will bring your spirit to bear on our world. We see the forces and the systems of evil that destroy and hurt, and we pray that you would would stop them. We pray for people who are most vulnerable to the destruction of the earth and ask for your grace and mercy upon each of them. Lord, we think about uh, your church around the world and We pray for our brothers and sisters in Pakistan who are facing the kind of opposition that sets off bombs on Easter Sunday and threatens them. And we pray, Father, that you will help them and and encourage them and all of the Christians living in Pakistan. We pray for your church in Haiti and for the 
teach, as they work there and minister there. And much of their work is, is trying to help in re- reforestation and, and other ways of restoring the earth that has been destroyed. We pray your grace upon them and their family and, and the various burdens that they are facing. We think, Father, of the churches around us, and we pray today for First Baptist Church of Angelica, Pastor Ford, and pray your mercy upon this gathering of your people and your grace upon them. Father, we pray for the ministries of our church, for the trustees, as they help us with our facilities and are continually looking for more effective ways to maintain our buildings and and the resources that we have. And we pray that you would continue to inspire them in that. And we pray, Father, for all among us who are wrestling with a variety of issues. Father, we pray that that you will heal our diseases and comfort our grieving souls. Make us known as people who forgive one another and who care for one another. We pray that you would fill our minds with your truth and our hearts with your love and our souls with your spirit. And that you would make us sensitive to you and to each other. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. We offer them in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to us.
see the benediction. May our creator God bless you and keep you. He make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.